what is the gospel? You know, I went, I went around the city and I surveyed some people and we had some students come in and we hit the college campuses. And so we, we asked people all over the city of Savannah this question. We said, what is the gospel? And it was interesting because the answers that we got were varied. Some people, you know, obviously, some people thought it was a music style. And um, they said, well, they, they talked to us about this, the, a style of music. And then some people thought it was, um, they, when we asked what is the Gospels, they thought it was, you know, the four books in the Bible that, you know. And then some people just said it was the whole Bible. And, and um, some people went on some really interesting definitions of the Gospel that I had never heard before. And, uh, but, when it, but when we ask this question, and what I'm asking you is, what is, the, what is the gospel? Because we're in this series, it's called Great News, and I ask you that because this, this whole series, this, it's based on the book of Galatians, and in the book of Galatians, Paul is trying to define for us the great news, the gospel. He's really, he, he, again, he, some people had followed him and they had, tried, they had started altering it. They had started telling them that it was a different, there, there was more to it or there was something lack, lacking in his message of the gospel. So Paul writes this letter back to the churches in, in the Galatian churches and he spends six chapters defining what the gospel is. So it's important for us, if Paul thought this was this important, and really, if the Holy Spirit led Paul to do this, and then recorded it and, and made sure that, it, that, that it's in our Bible, then it is very important to God that we understand what the gospel is. And it applies to every person. If you're here today and you're going like, Eric, I don't even know if I believe in God. It still applies to you. If you've been in church all of your life and you're going, man, I think I could tell you a better definition of the gospel than you know, Eric. Well, it's still, it applies to you as well. And so we ask, it's important for us to ask this, and so we're going to talk today in, 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 in chapter, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, Paul really starts narrowing in on what his definition of the, of, of the gospel. And so let's read this together. It's six verses that we're going to read together, Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 21, and if you have a Bible, you can turn there, but if you don't, then you can just read it on the screens. If you like to read in your own translation, and um, you know, then you can do that. However, it's up to you, whatever you want. But it's Galatians chapter 2, um, verse, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves, Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I always read that and it's like, couldn't, couldn't he have just left the word sinners out? I mean, golly, Paul. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, that's... You know. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now what we need to do here in order to really understand what Paul is saying is we need to, def we need to define some terms. 
The first thing that we see here is that he uses this word justified. And, um, and so justified means to be made righteous. And so really, if, we need to un- if we're gonna understand this term justified, then we need to understand the word righteous. Now, this is a word that is, is really confused in Christianity today. And so when you go around and you ask people what righteous means, you get so many different answers. And a lot of people think that righteous means more like piety and cleanness or rightness or doing good or, and, and all of these different things that, that all about that. But if that's the case, then that's just a, rep, it's a repetitious word because there are all sorts of things that mean good. And you know, the Bible says that God is righteous, but the also, Bible also says that God is good. So why didn't it just say God is good again? So what we find here is that, so, and I'll, I'll quit going on my little rabbit trails. The word righteous, the, 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 what I would like for us to understand the word righteous is, is the word righteous really means right relationship. When it's referring to, when Paul is saying here, is he was saying righteous, he's saying right relationship with God. When the Bible talks about God and it says that God is righteous, what it's telling us is that God is a God who lives and operates in right relationship. Now, this is powerful for us, and we need to understand this, because if God is righteous, if God is a righteous God, then what this means is that God will never do anything that harms your relationship with him. God acts in right relationship with you at all times. God will never compromise you for something else. He, he, can't, he won't look at somebody else and say, their need is more important than yours, so I'm gonna push you to the side. He will never make you pay for what he needs to do for someone else or for somewhere else because God will not compromise you and the relationship in anything that he does. So God is righteous. And so when Paul is telling us that you have been justified, you have been made righteous, what Paul is saying is, is you have been put in right relationship with God through Jesus. Now, this is the foundation of the gospel. And it's interesting that he uses this word justified because it doesn't, the word justified does not mean that you are in right relationship with God. Someone else has done the work You have been made righteous. God himself has done something. The implication is that there was a time when you were not in right relationship with God. But God himself intervened and by his grace has made you righteous. And that leads us to the next word that, I want us, that we need to define is that this word grace and the, the, the New Testament is filled with it. And the best, the easiest way for us to remember what grace means is for us to look at grace and think of it as God's activity in our life, our favor. So what grace means is that by God's activity, he has made you righteous. Grace is God's activity in your life at all times. It's always around you. God's activity is always, you are never outside of God's grace and favor. And so what I've done, and some of you have seen this before and I've alluded to it, but I've got this little sheet inside the bulletin and and, um, and I created this and it helps me to to, um, explain it. 
And uh, so look at that, if you, if you would please, and you see that at the top of this drawing here, you see the uh, eternal life. And what this eternal life is, this is, we'll talk about this a little bit, but this is what I'm talking about, being in right relationship with God. And you see that right underneath that, eternal life is founded on grace. It's God's activity. God is the one who has made you righteous. God is the one who has put you in right relationship with him. Now, yes, you're going, you will, we'll talk about the faith that is required. But right now, we need to understand that, that grace means that God is doing all of the work. He's preceding the work. This is a theological term. We understand that we actually are always responding to God's activity. No one is ever preceding God's activity. No one ever went out searching for God. No one did. You might, might have thought you did. You know, I remember when I was five years old, I saw this, I could, there was a valley from my apartment complex and there's a valley and the, through this. And on the other side of that the valley, on the other hill there was the little, the little red brick church and my family didn't go to church. I didn't understand anything about it. But, and, um, and this other church that was closer, but I didn't know, they would send a bus by every Sunday and pick up students. But we all thought that they were like, we always saw them picking up the students, but we never saw them returning. <laughs> now, they were always back on Monday, but that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the point. You know, we never saw them getting dropped off. So we were like, those evil people there, you know. <laughs> so we, you know I guess we just thought our friends returned because they somehow snuck away, you know. Who lures people into a bus with candy, you know? <laughs> in, nine, in the 70s, I mean, really. I mean, was there any concern? No, but it didn't matter in our minds, you know. So we'd hide in the bushes, and so these people had a great children's department, I'm sure, because they had this huge bus ministry. But I wouldn't, that wasn't interesting to me. But this church on the other side of the valley, for some reason I was drawn. Now I cannot, there is no reason for me to say that I went searching for God. No, God was drawing me. And, um, and so I walked, and I didn't give my heart to the Lord of that church, so it's not some kind of amazing story. I went, and I really don't even remember it. I just know that it wasn't inter interesting enough for me to ever go back. <laughs> but the point is, is that we will try to convince ourselves that we have preceded God in his activity. And the truth of the matter is, is know that by God's grace, he has been pursuing us, and we respond to that. And so when we look at the drawing and we understand what, when we're trying to answer the question and say, what is grace? That grace stands on three legs. And you see in the drawing here, and what is, what is God's activity? What I'm answering here is, what does God's activity in our life look like? So the first thing that we see on the far right, we see the cross. And by the cross, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood and gave his life to, so that God could offer every single person on the planet forgiveness. Everyone has been offered forgiveness. So I have an illustration that I'm going to come down here out of the blazing lights for a second. Can you, Brian, can you stand up for a second? Can you, can you punch me, not in the face, but can you just, can you just, can you just punch, punch me in the arm? Come on, man, you're a construction worker. You, can be, <laughs> you didn't have to hurt me, hit me that hard. It's all right. I forgive you. Okay, you're like, okay. Now, here's an interesting thing about that forgiveness, and I'm not saying that this works exactly the same because I told Brian to punch me, you know. But I have offered Brian forgiveness, but it means nothing to him unless he accepts it. Now, he could look at me and go like, you can't forgive me. You told me to punch you. I'm like, 
don't, I don't need your forgiveness. You deserve to get hit. You should have gotten hit harder than that. You know, it's all the things that he could say, he doesn't have to accept my forgiveness. It's up to him what he wants to do with it, but I have offered it. In the same way, God offers forgiveness, but it means nothing to you if you don't receive it. So it's important for us to understand God does not just offer forgiveness to a select few. Oh, well, Eric, he only forgives those. He He only offers forgiveness. Listen, he only forgives those who say the prayer of salvation. No, forgiveness is offered to everyone. But I mean, there are many who don't accept it. It's not that God isn't giving them forgiveness. They're just rejecting it. Here's another way to look at it. If you, have, if you have a mortgage and you're paying for, paying for your home or if you've ever had a mortgage, then you understand that um, that bill comes up every month regardless, right? And it's like, you know, in the bank, they, they, they can act like they're lenient, but, um, you know, don't pay and see what happens, right? Now, can you imagine if you is, I just went to your bank, whatever the name of your bank is, and I just came in and I, and I said, hey, how much is, how much is Virgil and Kim's? mortgage and they were like oh well you know you know Virgil's pretty frou-frou so they're like oh that's 1.5 million dollars you know (laughs) I was just paying you back for Matt because you always you know (laughs) end up you know but whatever they say whatever the amount is and I go okay well you know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pay I'm gonna pay off his mortgage and I cut the bank a check now put your name in there I've paid now I've paid off your mortgage and then the bank your bank sends you a letter in the mail saying, hey, your mortgage is paid. And come next month, you write a check and send it off to your mortgage company. And you go, well, I don't know if I trust. I don't know if I trust it. You would think it was silly to continue paying. And your bank, you know, now what is your bank gonna do? They're gonna take your check. They're not gonna send it back. They're like, thank you. You know, they'll, they'll put it towards something else. You know, it's like bonus. And they'll just keep taking the check, even though your mortgage is paid. Now, when God, when he offered, when, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just forgive you. What Jesus did is if we were to look at the mortgage illustration, and it starts breaking down here. But what Jesus did is he came and he overpaid. He overpaid. He didn't just offer you forgiveness for the things you have done. He hasn't, just, he hasn't just paid the debt for the sins that you know you've committed. He's paid the debt for the sins you don't know about, the sins you have already committed, the sins that you're going to commit, and the sins you're going to commit that you never really even know about. He's overpaid. He paid for more than enough. And that's what happens on the cross. And that's the first part of grace that we have to understand is that we have not just, it's not just that we have been forgiven. Yes, forgiveness is offered. But God, Jesus has gone more than that and he has overpaid the debt for your and my and everyone's sin. No payment will ever be needed again. Now, if you just stay here and you just think about just forgiveness, then what you will think is you'll be like, oh, okay, great, I'm forgiven. I can move on and live however I want. And, you just, and there are people who live like that. They think, oh, well, grace lets me do whatever I want to do. I can just keep living this way because I have been forgiven. And there, it's like standing on one leg. 
and their life is unstable, and that's what happens. But now the next thing that we see here, and I want to move on, is the next thing we see here is that this next, the next leg, the middle leg, is resurrection. At the resurrection, what Jesus did, he rose from the grave. Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus raise from the grave? Why did he physically come out of the grave? Why did his body come out of the grave? Was Jesus dead for those three days? His body was dead. But do you think Jesus, his spirit, do you think Jesus himself, God, was stuck in the tomb? No, he wasn't. Actually, the Bible says that he wasn't. It says he went to hell, got the keys, and you see like traips, you know, you know, you see all these victory things that you find out. Jesus was, he comes back, and why does he raise the body from the grave? So that you and I can have resurrected life. And what does that mean? It means that you and I, he offers us adoption as his children. By the resurrection, Jesus offers us adoption as children of God. He gives you access to God. Children, you, and those of us who are parents understand this, children can walk into our room anytime they want. I'll be praying, or I'll be, um, you know, I'll be studying, or I'll be writing, or I'll be doing something. I'll be busy at work. I can be on the phone, and my daughter can watch. She just walks right in. She doesn't even knock, you know? She just comes in and says, Daddy. And I'm like, yes. I remember one time, <laughs> Um, the very first time Maddie ever called me on the phone, it was around Christmas, and I had one of those long funnels, you know, that you could use to water your tree that was re- made it really easy, and I'm one of those weird people that like that. that have those. <clears throat> and so Chelsea calls me up. Maddie is like three years old, and she had the cutest voice on the phone. It, was, it, was, it, would, it, would melt my, it melted my heart. And so Chelsea calls me up, and she's like, Daddy? I was like, yes. She's like, Madison needs to talk to you. And I'm like, this is the first time I've ever talked to Maddie on the phone. I'm like, oh, okay, put her on the phone. And she goes, Daddy, I broke your ding. She couldn't say thing. It was just, I broke your ding. And I literally go, sweetie, whatever it is that you just broke, it's okay. I didn't even know what she broke. And I was like, it's okay. You know, I was just like, I just, you know, and she understands that. And as a child of God, you don't, have to, you don't have to walk into his presence with trepidation. You don't have to go like, did I do it just right? Oh, is he remembering something that I did wrong? I don't know if he's gonna, I don't even know if he's gonna listen to my request. I don't, I don't even, he might not have time for me. You don't have to have any of those things. You can just walk into his presence because you are his child. This is what adoption means. He's literally taken you and made you heir to the throne. That's what Jesus did at the resurrection. And the third leg that we see here is the the Holy Spirit. And then what God does is when we place our faith in grace, which is the, the activity and finished work of God in our life, the finished work and the present work of God, but when we place our faith in grace, then what God does is he takes his spirit and deposits his nature inside of us. The Holy Spirit then comes and indwells us. And the Bible describes this and says we were, when that happens, we are transferred from death to life. And this is eternal life. It's a new nature. You're a new person, and it's a new way to live. So let's make this applicable to us. So 
So it's important for us to understand this. Then when you look at the gospel like this and you understand that the gospel is all built on this idea of grace and what grace means and God's activity and all this, then the gospel draws a clear line in the sand for every single one of us, not people who haven't received Jesus as Lord, but for all of us, the gospel draws this line in the sand. And there are two there are only two ways to, th- to think and to view this. Is the first way is to think about eternal life as the way the Galatians were beginning to think about eternal life. And it's like this, that eternal life is this ticket to heaven based on performance. They started believing then that you know what, you know what God is really offering me is he's offering me a ticket to heaven. And then, and, and you see this in the 20th century and in the 20th, you, you saw this in the 20th century and now in the 21st century, that this is rampant, especially in Western culture, that there's this idea that heaven and what God is offering us is this ticket, this ticket to heaven, that eternal life is this ticket to heaven. And, you, and here is a famous question that many of you have heard. If you were to die today, and stand before God at the gates of heaven, and he were to ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And there are, you, there are three answers to this, isn't there? There's like, I have been a good person. I tried to follow the rules. I tried to be generous, and I gave. And I, did, I did everything I could think of to do right. That's why you should let me in. Question answer two is, well, you know, I, you, know, you know, God, I had that transaction with you and I said the prayer of salvation and I believe in you and I believe that you love me and I did that. You know we had that moment. And then the third thing, their third answer is, is I don't believe that's gonna happen. I don't think that's the way it's gonna go. And what we have today in our culture is everyone wants to argue about which of those three answers is correct. Everyone's like, oh, no, it's this. It's this form. No, you've got to answer that question like this because if you answer it like this, then that's right. And if you answer, no, you've got to answer it like this. And, oh, no, it doesn't matter. That, 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 I don't even, you know, it, I don't even believe it at all. And here's the thing. is like there's this big argument in America today about what I call Christian communism. Because what it is is like, you know what communism is. It's like, hey, you know what? If we just do it like this, we'll have utopia. And so you've got group one that's going like, oh, well, if everyone will just live a certain way, then everything will be happy. We'll all get along. Oh, and the group two is like, oh, well, if you'll just say the prayer, you know, then and you can you get your little get out of jail free card and then everyone will just get along. And then group three is like, look, if everyone just does what I say and forget about all this religious junk, we'll all just get along. And here's the problem. All three answers are wrong. They're all wrong. And that's the scary thing about it, isn't it? You're going, now all of y'all think that I'm a heretic. What Paul is talking about here is, the the problem is, I tricked you. The problem is, is that the question itself is wrong. The question itself is wrong. Because what Paul is trying to help us to understand is that God, he he doesn't say we all get the ticket based on grace. He didn't say, hey, we all now can follow the rules because, and he didn't say, oh, well, the question doesn't matter because what, Jesus, what Paul says and what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul is that you can be in right relationship with God by grace. Right. And the eternal life, when you look at the little picture that I have here, eternal life is not about heaven one day after you die. Eternal life is not about something that you can, you know, just, just 
live this existence, and then when you, if you can make it, if you can hold on to the end, then it's paradise, mansion, gold cities, gold, I mean, gold streets, you know, you know, all sorts of stuff. This is not what eternal, this is not the gospel that Paul is talking about. What Paul is telling us is that the good news, the great news is that you can have a relationship with the living God. And here's the thing, it's a life of relationship. And Paul says, he actually says, through the law, I died to the law. What he's saying is, is like, I died to performance. You know, we, so what God is offering us is he's offering us a new way to live. Now, the old way to live, the ticket to heaven way to live, is a life of performance. Did I say the prayer right? Do you know, in 25 years of, almost 25 years of ministry, do you know how many times I've talked to someone who actually had, they, they weren't, they, we always said, well, you need assurance. People, they were doubting. They're like, Eric, I don't know if I said that prayer right. I don't know if I meant it. Can we say the prayer again? I do baptism classes. Like, I've been baptized four times. I'd just like to get baptized again because I just, I don't, I'm not sure it worked. When I got, the, when I got baptized at, at eight, I was going to church and I was going to this little um, uh, Southern Baptist church in West Texas and my, it was my granny's church and my parents were going through a divorce and my mom wasn't really serving the Lord. And, and I went to this church and the, the preacher was, man, man, he could really preach a sermon. I, I think he was related to Billy Graham in some way and kind of looked like him, you know, 6'4", you know, and um, that white hair. Of course, I guess Billy Graham didn't have white hair then. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> and I, so I responded, and I, went, I gave my, I responded to the altar call, and it was, you know, there was a moment there where the Lord really did something, but then I wanted to get baptized, and so my mom's, you know, I, on the, the next week, I was going to get baptized, and my granny was so excited, my mom pulled me aside and said, you know, if your feet come off the ground when he dunks you under the water, that means it doesn't, didn't work. I was like, oh, and she thought that'd be so funny, you know, and so of course, you know, he's 6'4", you know, 225 pounds at least, you know, and I'm this little, you know, maybe 55 pounds sopping wet, you know. So when he dunks me down that force, what's the first thing that happened? Not only did my feet come off the ground, they come out of the water, you know. It's like, wah, you know, and I come back up, and I come out of that baptismal tank just weeping, you know, I'm just crying, you know, all these, you know, you know, all these ladies were like, oh, it's the Lord is moving, you know, he's, oh, look, what that's so neat, that, you know, and of course, my granny's like, what's wrong? And I was like, mommy said it wouldn't work, and my feet came off the ground, and she was so mad, you know, but, um, but we, we lose our assurance, because we think we haven't done it right, and there's a way that, too often we live this life thinking that it's all about what I do. And we think it's all about what's going on in my life right now is a response to what I did. Oh, well, Eric, don't you reap what you sow? Have you ever thought about how ridiculous that is? Thank God you don't reap what you sow. You know how many things you've done wrong that you don't even know about? Who, if you're gonna reap what you sow? <laughs> Lord, Lord, have mercy. But we, we think that, and there's this, there is this way that we live. It's inside of us. It's, what we're, what we, it's the way we live before we gave our, before without Jesus, it's the way you, you live. But you, li- you think that life is all about this set of rules and what you must do. And Paul is trying to tell us, there is a different way to live. And it's not just with God, it's with each other. 
but it starts with God. No, can you live in relationship with God? Can you set the rule book down because the rule book gives you control and power and makes your life feel nice and clean and inside the box? Can you set the rule book down for a second and build a relationship with a living God? Can you listen to him? Can you learn how to hear his voice? Can you obey him when he speaks? Can you learn how to live in relationship with each other? You know, or do we want to just, you know why, I'll get off the Christian communism thing. Do you know why communism never works? Because there's no relationship in it. Just follow the rules. Just do your part. You're the peg, fit in the hole, do your thing, and you know, and somebody else will just make sure that everyone, everyone gets paid equally, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's this nice little, it's this nice little system that doesn't require interaction. You know what's wrong with a lot of the way, the way a lot of us want to live our Christian life? Because we just want this interaction with God. Can you just be a peg in a hole and can you just check the salvation card and can you just give what you're supposed to give and do what you're supposed to do? Can everyone just obey the set of rules and you know what, everything will be great, but there's no relationship. And Paul says, hey, guess what? That's all, I died to that. What I want is a relationship with God. I want an interaction with a living God who is holy and powerful and omniscient and omnipotent and good. I want to hear his voice every day. I want to respond to his voice. I want to feel his leading. I want to go through every moment of my day knowing that he's here. Not, not only is he here with me, he's actually preceding me in everything that I do. And I don't have to go alone at your job. Do you know that there's no separation? You're not more holy now in this church than you are tomorrow when you're at work? There is no, there is no spiritual life or religious life and non-spiritual life. No, it's all spiritual. Because you are a spiritual person and God is a spiritual being. And Paul says, I, I don't want that old life. And here's the line drawn in the sand. We all have to choose. Do you want the nice, easy, clean cut, just follow the rules? Or would you like a relationship with a God who loves you? Now, the relationship one is scary. You know, in the Chronicles of Narnia, <clears throat> the children are about to meet Aslan, and they're like, he's a lion. And they're like, is he a tame lion? It's like, no, no, he's not a tame lion. No, this life that God is calling you to, it's not clean and easy. You, you, you don't get to define it yourself. No, you have to surrender control. You know, for the rest of your life, God is going to ask you to stop doing something you want to do. Well, Eric, are you just talking about sins? I am talking about sins. I'm actually talking about things that you, that wouldn't be sin until God asked you to stop doing them. Right. Eric, I want you to stop doing that. Well, God, is it sin? It will be for you now. Right. Right. Oh, but it's not in the book. I don't see that one in the book. He's like, we're not talking about the book. I'm talking about a relationship with a God who speaks to you. Well, Eric, and then for the rest of your life, God is going to ask you to do something 
that you don't want to do. And you're like, well, is it fair? It's not about fair. Well, how come, do you remember, remember Jesus is walking with Peter on the lake and, and Peter asks, uh, Jesus asks Peter, he says, do you love me? And he says, yes, feed my sheep. He's like, you know, he tells him, he's like, and then Peter looks back and goes like, what about him? And he sees John walking behind him. Because what about him, Lord? You're not asking him to do the same thing you're asking me. And Jesus is like, I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to you. But, it's, but Eric, I, I like the idea of having a set of rules. And I like, I like the idea of being able to hold on to something as, oh, it's written here. Man, the Bible is, is valuable. It's God's written word. But God isn't asking you to have a relationship with a book. He's asking you to have a relationship with his spirit who lives inside of you. For the rest of your life, an interaction with a being is all about relationship. And it's the most amazing life and it's the most amazing relationship because yes, he's, um, he, he knows everything, all the good and all the bad. And he's completely powerful beyond anything you can imagine. There's nothing he can't do. And he loves you more than you can imagine. And he's never, he's never going to ask you to do something that hurts and, or harms you. And everything he asks you to do is for your benefit. But that requires trust. Doesn't it? It requires faith and trust. So what does this mean for us? If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, then you know what this means for you is you need to place your trust in his forgiveness and adoption and then receive his Holy Spirit. And that's a simple thing to do. You could do that right now and just say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I, I, I repent for not believing in you and not wanting to trust you. And I give you my life. But if you have made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've said that prayer before, what does it mean for you? Where, where is the line drawn in the sand? Here it is, is to live a life for the rest of your life, pursue a relationship with God. Not go to church, not read your Bible, not be generous with what you have. Yes, those things are all a part of it, but the, but the, the key is to pursue a relationship with God. And so what I mean is, you go like, Eric, give me some practical steps. This is what I'm gonna ask you to do. Here's some practical steps. Make a commitment, here it comes, to read your Bible consistently. But here's the difference. Because you don't read your Bible, you don't treat your Bible as a self-help book. You don't treat it, you don't read your Bible because you want to know more about God. You don't read your Bible because if you read your Bible, then God will do something good for you. No. You read it, asking God to speak to you through it. It's the number one way God speaks to us. So you ask God and you say, God, as I open up, my, up, open up this book today, I call it my Bible. I love my Bible. If you were to see my Bible, I have to keep taping it together. It's like pages are underlined and written all over and I've erased. I always write in pencil so I can erase it. And it's just like, so I'm not, I'm not downing the Bible. I'm just saying is what the reason why it's so important to me is because this is the number one way God has spoken to me hundreds and hundreds of times. So you pick up your Bible and you don't just go, oh, how much do I read? Does it matter? You say, God, will you speak to me? 
you pray. But you don't pray just to go through the list of things you're going to ask for. You pray because you, through prayer, you learn how to tell God how you feel. You learn how to express yourself to a God who listens. You know, often in this season of my life, you know my number, my, my, probably the prayer I pray the most, just in vulnerability. I say, God, I'm afraid that I'm going to fail and you're gonna let me do it. I'm afraid that I'm going to drop the ball and you're gonna let it happen. I wish I could say, I say this to God, I wish I could say that I trust you, but God, my emotions let me down. Because right now, I don't think I do. Help me. Now this is a vulnerable relationship with a God who hears. And God has yet to strike me down, so I think I'm doing the right thing with that. And then you take steps of faith and you go like, I think God is asking me to do that. So I'm going to take a step of faith and test my faith. Because you know what? The image that you have of God is incorrect. The image I have of God is, it, it's, let's, I'll say it like this, it's less challenging. It's incomplete. And there are things that we believe about God that are wrong. So God tests our faith. Why? He's not testing you. He's shaking the things that you believe about him that are wrong so that your relationship with him is stronger. And these are steps of faith. <clears throat> so, and I'll, the worship team, I said I was gonna pray and give y'all a chance to come up here discreetly, but I'm running out of time. So can y'all go ahead and come up here as we're gonna sing a song and I'm sorry, we're gonna go over today. <clears throat> so as they're getting on the stage, this is, the, this is why we started small groups, by the way, is because you see the Christianity that most people are used to is an easy kind of like, just do this and don't do that kind of Christianity. Just come to church, put something in the bucket, do this, do that. And that's the kind of Christianity that we're used to, but there's no relationship in it. But a Christianity that's all about a relationship with a living God who is a being, who speaks to you and interacts with you, that takes work, doesn't it? It's a completely different way of living. So we started small groups so that Chelsea and I can help you learn how to develop a relationship with this invisible God. So that's why we offer you small groups. That's why I would like to invite you all to come over to my house, sit down, let's talk about how to hear God, how to interact with God, how to have a relationship with God, how to involve God in your daily activity and how to live a brand new way. So we're gonna sing this song, Unstoppable Gods. If you wanna stand to your feet, I'm gonna pray. And let's, and let's, let's not just sing a song. Let's, in this moment, sing, as we're singing Unstoppable God, let's offer our hearts to a God who hears and speaks. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the unstoppable God. You are the God who loves beyond anything that we can imagine. And God, you're calling us to a life we can't even fathom, and it's scary. But God, we want to trust you and follow you. So God, I pray that as we sing, I pray that your spirit would well up faith within us. And that we'd open our hearts and receive your love. And God, we would have the courage to follow you. In Jesus' name.
Can you see why it's so exciting that God's kingdom just goes on and on and that God is constantly pursuing and God is constantly in your life because he loves you more than you can possibly imagine and he offers you a life you never dreamed of. So I wanna encourage you as you go out this week, pick up your Bible, but don't just do it just to check it off. Before you open it, say, God, teach me to hear your voice and speak to me as I read. Pray, every time you pray this week, don't just do like, you know, as I lay me down to sleep. (laughs) But learn how to tell God exactly how you feel. Even if it is, God, I don't even want to pray right now. Learn how to express yourself to him. Pour your heart out to him. And he, because God is speaking to you, he's speaking to you at your area of greatest need. And the moment you hear his voice is the moment everything will change. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your pursuit, your unstoppable kingdom in your pursuit of us. I pray, God, that we would encounter it. Pray that you would remove the obstacles in our lives that are hindering us from hearing your voice and experiencing your presence. God, thank you that this is not just about mental ascent. Thank you, God, that it's not a clean, in-a-box life that's just following a set of rules, but it's a relationship with you. I pray that we all encounter you in that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, thank you. <clears throat> we, so we went about five or six minutes over. I promise you that's not regular. 70 minutes is normal. But stick around, hang out with us for a little bit. We have some water and some snacks in the back. Meet some people, shake some hands. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. You're dismissed. I close my eyes and colors fly. There's no hiding from your grace. I can't deny your heart for mine. And it's unrelenting chase. I was on the edge of deception. Caught up in my own hesitation. Until you.